So, we are still at Dragonsteel Minicon. And we are going to try doing a live Q&A session on this podcast, which is something we've never tried before. We were considering letting Ben ask all the questions, but he is bored of us and he left. Yeah. We have disappointed him for a final time. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. There's no way that we've disappointed him for the last time. <laughs> He's off to find out if George Barton has a convention. <laughs> So we're going to start taking some questions. Sorry to all these people who are standing in line, because we're probably going to talk a lot about various things, and you'll just be standing there for a while. Annyeonghaseyo. Annyeonghaseyo. Favorite snack for when you're writing? Oh, hey, that's a great question. So I generally don't eat when I'm writing. Like, I would find, so here's the problem. If I train myself to be eating while I'm writing, I'm writing a lot of the time. And if it became part of what I was doing, though I will say that I do err on the side of salty things, so sunflower seeds are my go-to. If I am snacking, it's probably something like that, like something that makes me feel like I'm eating a lot when I'm not. I am far less healthy. I also don't usually eat while writing, but I do use food as a reward for writing. I don't know where I found it. At some point, like on Twitter, image crossed my feed that was a k-pop star and the caption at the bottom that she was like doing an interview said my philosophy is this if i do good work i can eat delicious things and so i keep that on my phone and that's my reminder and so i will set goals like if i hit a word count or if i finish this chapter or whatever it is then i get to go eat and that is usually honestly a bowl of cereal because i'm a bad person (laughs) what's your like favorite beverages of choice I drink water. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so do I. I just drink water. It used to be lame, but now there's like this whole movement online about water drinkers banding together, (laughs) and I feel suddenly trendy. I have worked for too many health companies to sit and drink soda all day. I thought you hated those health companies. I do hate the companies, but the core principles of health are true regardless of how much I hate the companies selling them to you. So... Never drink calories, people, to the extent that it is possible. It's very bad for you. Okay. There we are. So I heard you're a Magic the Gathering fan. I am. Oh, okay. I was listening to a podcast with Tim Poole, and he said Magic the Gathering with a power creep has gotten worse. Do you think Magic the Gathering has gotten worse over time? or Do I think Magic the Gathering has gotten worse over time? I don't know what Mark Poole is talking about for power creep because he illustrated a bunch of cards back in the day that are famously broken and overpowered, and we are nowhere near that level right now. The thing about a game is, if it's internally balanced, then it doesn't matter how powerful it is, right? Like, power can't exist in a vacuum. It's only in comparison to other things. And so if sets are balanced with themselves, it generally creates a healthy environment because in Magic, all the old cards from 20 years ago are so busted that nothing they do now can outbust them. Well, they did Prinoco. So <laughs> once in a while, they'll accidentally outbust a lot of the old cards. But really, that statement doesn't really apply to Magic, in my opinion, because it means it has to be internally balanced. Now, what he's right about is recently they've done some bad internal balancing which has caused several parts of the game to be broken for a while in ways that a lot of people disliked. But I don't think the power creep over time is an issue for Magic, personally. 
let me ask you, because I've not played mm -hmm. Magic recently, do you think that it has suffered from complexity creep? It goes in waves. So it will get more and more complex. So right now, if you want to play Magic, it's, it's actually, I think, hit a certain level of it can't get more complex in the overarch. All right. Okay. Like right now, there are so many cards that most people are going to have to read the cards if you're playing some format where people can use all the cards. And there's just a certain level where you just all have to read all the cards. Mm -hmm. It can't get more complicated than that, really. I mean, you could come up with really complicated mechanics, but yeah. in general, it's basically hit this wall of this is as complex. Like, Commander's not going to get more complex, I don't think. Or significantly more because you just all have to learn how all of these things work every time anyway standard the cards you can play for a given period of time oh i'm nerding out i'm at a nerd con this is all right um <laughs> they can go up and down in complexity and they've tried to try to make it easier for new people to get into but i think we're actually in a spot where because the digital version does a lot of the hard stuff for you in that regard mm -hmm. it's actually become way less complex for new players over the last couple of years than it used to be because you can start with arena which is a really slick program that does a lot of the hard part so cool. there okay. you go there's me nerding about magic thank you for the opportunity <laughs> to nerd about magic for a short time that is more granular than most of you in this room wanted to hear huge fan of your podcast in a previous episode you guys talked about that you were working on a project together with some fabulous ridiculousness about Abraham Lincoln, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, I wouldn't say that we worked on that together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't quite remember. But if you guys were to work on a book together, what would that be? What would that be? Mm -hmm. Well, Dan hopes it would be the Apocalypse Guard because... <laughs> I did a draft of it, then he did a draft of it, fixing a bunch of the broken stuff that I broke, but leaving the broken stuff that I need to fix because of the way that our various writing styles work, and then I have never gotten back to it and fixed my part. So Dan is waiting on me for that. Yeah, so we actually have three collaborations going on right now. Apocalypse Guard, which has been backburnered for like three years. Dark One. Yeah. Uh, the Dark One prequel is written, and you've reviewed it. I've reviewed all but the last All but the uh, last, last one. Chunk. And so yeah. there's still a revision that needs to happen there. And then Dark One, the novel, yeah. I am not as far into it as I wish I were, mostly because I'm here instead of writing. But we have those. If the question is, what new thing would we pick up and write? I think the answer is obviously free for all burrito world. <laughs> I still think the time travel tourism one is the one that oh, uh, clicks with our personality yeah. styles. Like that is the most likely that I would. Yeah. So yeah. that, that was in several episodes ago or several, maybe an episode that hasn't come out. I don't, yeah. I genuinely don't remember. No time travel disaster tourism happened. It okay. came out. People I, have I, seen it. I think that would be really fun to collaborate on yeah. at some point in the future. So that's the most likely, other than the three that we've announced, which I will eventually get to <laughs> Apocalypse Guard, I promise. Yeah, all the collaborations I do with him, we're going to rename this podcast Dan Rides Brandon's Coattails, <laughs> the podcast. I wrote his for a little while, so it's only fair. <laughs> I'm going to wait for you to start talking, and then I'm going to say something. Okay, all right. I have a okay. question about no, no, go. another author's works opinion, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's related by the narrators, Michael Kramer and Kate Redding. Uh -huh. Love them. James Eilington's Lycanius trilogy 
You're nodding, so that already answers my so, first question. Lots of people have asked me and I haven't ever gotten to them. I do intend to. It's one of those book series that a lot of people say, Brandon, you're going to love this. I would say for a while it was the top recommendation and then Worm topped it again. Worm is just kind of consistently the thing that people recommend to me the most. The web serial worm, which I have read some of and I thought was well done. I just don't have the time to read the 20 million words of worm that has been written. But I will eventually get to James Islington. Enough people have recommended it that, yeah. And I'm not familiar with it either, so. I know you guys have discussed Dune on the podcast before, but I've noticed as of late that we're kind of redoing on high budget, like classic stories. So they're redoing Lord of the Rings, they did Dune, they did Foundation, they're doing Wheel of Time. I'm just wondering how you guys feel about that as a general trend. It's a general trend of redoing classic things. So you go ahead, Dan. I talked well, a lot in the last one. I think we're not talking about redoing, just a dredging up Silver Age science fiction and adapting it. I'm actually kind of loving it. They announced a couple weeks ago that Bradley Cooper has uh, optioned the Hyperion Contos as movies. Yeah. And I am friggin' stoked for that. I love those books. And I, I consider them essentially unfilmable, but I'm very excited to see what they do with them. I think it's a cool trend. You just want to see people alive and twitching on a tree that has stabbed <laughs> them through. You're just, a, you're just a horrible person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I make no bones about that. So what do I think about this? Uh, so far, I have liked it. It could go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But it can't go that wrong in that... A bad adaptation is not that big a deal to me. Like, I'm not one who gets up in arms that, oh, this thing got a bad adaptation. I get more sad when there's something good that gets bad. Does that make sense? This, mm. you know, we've talked about the, the, the Star Wars films and things. That bothers me because I've put a lot of investment, emotional investment into this thing, and then I feel like it wasn't rewarded. Yeah. Just seeing someone do a mediocre version of Ender's Game or something like that doesn't offend me. They gave it their best shot. Maybe it wasn't their best, but they gave it a shot, and then it just didn't turn out. Adaptations are hard. Things are difficult to film. Some things don't translate well. And... Again, I'm really happy that some things that kind of got okay adaptations or mediocre ones they're giving another try to. Mm. Does Dune deserve another chance as much as I like, you know, the Lynch version? Or like is the wrong term. (laughs) Enjoy. As as much as I enjoy and am fond of the existence of (laughs) the, the Lynch version, Dune deserved a big budget adaptation that showed people what I love about Dune. Even if they don't end up loving it, they now can watch it and be like, this is the thing that he loves. And that's why I really like this adaptation. Mm -hmm. It can go wrong very quickly, though, because there are some things. So where can this go wrong? One is Hollywood learns the wrong lessons very consistently, right? Yeah. So we saw this with the, I warned you guys, you're just going to stand there for a while. (laughs) We saw this with the Lord of the Rings. Don't lock your knees. Yeah. (laughs) Don't faint on us. Lord of the Rings gets huge. So they option a bunch of stuff. And then they make poor versions of it, right? Yeah. There are just a bunch of bad adaptations. And what Hollywood learned for a while is that fantasy does not make good high-budget films. Mm-hmm. The fallacy there is they made bad movies. Yeah. Bad movies don't make money. It's not that fantasy doesn't make money. So for a while, selling fantasy as films was really hard. And that's why you just didn't see them Mm -hmm. for a while. You saw YA adaptations because those were doing well. So they were adapting YA fantasy and things like that. But again, they generally did a bad job. And so 
Hollywood learns the wrong lesson. They could yeah. learn the wrong lesson from this. Well, and, and the reason they're learning the wrong lesson is you'll, if you've ever worked in Hollywood, you know that they are eternally optimistic. Everything is always great. Like the story you tell yeah. about, Brandon, great news. They rejected your book. Yeah. Like that's the attitude they have. And so quality isn't actually a metric that they are any good at measuring. Yeah. So it all comes down to demographics. And we say they. What we don't mean are the screenwriters, filmmakers, and people mm -hmm. making the films. They yeah. know quality, in my experience. It's, it's, absolutely. There's a level above them of people who are completely oblivious to quality. They're like aliens who don't understand what makes a story work. <laughs> and so they can only determine if a story works by looking at a spreadsheet and seeing how much money it made. Yeah. One thing I will say about the wave of adaptations we're seeing, I am excited about things like Hyperion and so on. But what I would be even more excited about is if they would point that adaptation lens and all of that money at, at some you? modern stuff. Obviously oh. me. <laughs> Make an extreme makeover movie, yeah. you cowards. But also like The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemisin or Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal. I mean, like, we did get... Do some modern stuff. We did get some of that, right? We do have we some. Got... Like Arrival yeah. is, Shadow and Bone. Uh, is a modern thing. Shadow and Bone is a modern thing. Yeah. We're starting to see a little of it. Yeah. And, and all awesome. of these things are under option. So, yes, that's good. But the dredging up, you've got a good point. Mm. That if we, if we live, uh, I'm, still, I'm still a little, I haven't watched Foundation, but I'm still a little annoyed that they went and made Foundation, which is, it could be filmed, but it's generally considered unfilmable because the pillar of what makes Foundation work is an unfilmable thing. And they just threw that out the window. <laughs> and they're like, well, we just won't make Foundation then. So I don't know. I'm annoyed by that one. I'm gonna, maybe I'll watch it just so we can complain about it on the podcast. I would have to watch it too. Yeah. If we both hate watch Foundation and then just gripe about it. Yeah. I think people would like that. <laughs> Let's be honest. People would enjoy that. Okay. So Dan or maybe I should call you not Brandon Sanderson, apparently. I, I answer know. to both. If you could take one of Brandon's published works and rewrite it yourself. Rewrite it myself. What would it be and why? And same thing, Brandon to Dan. Oh, baby. <laughs> okay. If I could take one of your books and rewrite it. Ooh, could I do A Night of Blacker Darkness as a serious <laughs> epic? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes, you totally should. Yeah. Because what I was just thinking is that I want to take like Stormlight Archive and do it as like a, a really quick thriller, like 60,000 words, like get in, get out, get this done. The entire, not just like Way of Kings, Stormlight Archive. <laughs> the whole 10 book arc. No. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm thinking maybe actually it might be Reckoners. Oh, yeah, you do a really good job. I think taking Steelheart yeah. mm -hmm. and doing a Dan version of it. Yeah. And I'm not saying this because I don't like Steelheart. Mm -hmm. I very much like it as it is. My version would have different pacing. It would be yeah. darker. You'd be straying a little bit more, yeah, into the kind yeah. of the, or the source material. Not that I based on anything, but the idea of the mm -hmm. growing up of comics into this darker era in yeah. the 90s is something that I was flirting with. And I'm just not as dark as you are as a writer. And so, yeah, that would be interesting. I'd have it, a lot of fun with that. Should, or I'd just write sequels to Rhythmatist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And 
and my Rhythmatist sequels would be scary as hell, let me tell you. <laughs> Those little chalk monsters skittering across the floor, it would be so cool. And I'd market it as a middle grade, <laughs> and you'd read it to your children. Or better yet, you'd just turn on the audiobook for your seven-year-old to go to sleep, and then you'd go to another room, and a half an hour later, you would find your seven-year-old, like, completely white-faced and, and gripping, you know, whole fingerprints you, into their bed frame. You say that? I don't know. I, I know various eight-year-olds who would just love it. That's the thing. That's true. What's that? Oh, it's you. Someone said me. Um, <laughs> have you read Pat Rothfuss's picture book? I have not. So, Pat Rothfuss wrote a picture book, which is not for kids, but it actually is just fine for kids. He put a golden thing on the cover that says, this stuff isn't for kids, but doesn't say stuff. <laughs> and it's about a princess, and it's really twisted. But, I mean, I gave it to my then eight-year-old, and he loved it because it was twisted, right? It was twisted in this sort of, ooh, um, you know, it, it has a nice little twist at the end and things like that. And, I, you know, my wife was like, it's going to scare him. I'm like, it's not going to scare him. It's twisted in a sort of, ooh, spooky sort of way, and mm -hmm. he just loved it. So That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, I've been told that uh, Brandon already answered this question, so this is probably going to be for not Brandon Sanderson. Have you heard of the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV? You can play through the entirety of Realm Reborn and the award-winning Heaven's Ward for up to level 60 for free. <laughs> and uh, the real question behind that is, do you play MMORPG? And if not, would you make an MMORPG out of your books at all? Oh man, John Cleaver, the MMO. Can you imagine? <laughs> I play Guild Wars 2. That is my MMO that I play. I have maxed out, like, top-level characters. I've filled my entire pool, and to the point that I will eventually, you know, every little couple of months, I'll delete one of my maxed-out characters and create a new character and max it out. My current stable of Guild Wars 2 characters is I have created the MMO version of all the main characters in my Mirador Cyberpunk series as if they were playing the MMO. This is the character Marisa would play, this is the character Jaya would play, etc. Because I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> I um, had not realized how huge a nerd you were until that go. moment. Which of my books would I turn into an MMO? I would turn Extreme Makeover into an MMO. And you just have to be careful because as the game goes on, if you eventually come into contact with an infectious person, you become a copy of their character and eventually everyone's a copy of the same character and no one plays the game anymore. This is why I don't design video games. All right, this is for both of you. Favorite fan moment and maybe most cringy fan moment? With fans or of our moments of being fans? Uh, no, with fans. With your fans. Own, with your own fans. Okay. Have I told the Argentina story? I don't know. Okay, do you want to hear tell, my Argentina story? You have lots of story? stories about Argentina, yeah. Okay, so. I speak very fluent Spanish, and my books are very popular in South America, so I go down there all the time. I haven't been in two years, obviously, and I'm sad, but I want to go back. One time when I was there in Buenos Aires, I was there, and in addition to doing the big book fair talk, they had me teach a writing workshop for some teens downtown. So we went, and we did that whole thing, and like I said, I speak very well, but I did have a translator with me just in case something came up that I didn't know. And so at the end of the class, you know, I was signing books for people and, you know, one girl came up and she gave me the book and I said, you know, is there anything else I can do for you? And she said, 
podría lamerte la cara? And I didn't know what lamer, the verb lamer means. And I look over at the translator and she is just bright red. And she said, she wants to lick your face. <laughs> and so I'm back and I'm like, no, uh, no. That's very inappropriate to ask. Uh, you know, thank you, I guess, but no, that's not going to happen. So then we go to the big talk. And this is the huge salon in the book fair, like two, 3,000 people there, like it's enormous. And I was being interviewed on stage and one of the people asked me this exact question, what's the weirdest fan interaction you've ever had? And I'm like, let me tell you. <laughs> and so I told this story and then way in the back, she stands up and is like, that was me. <laughs> Oh, wow. And that's my favorite fan story. <laughs> okay, it is your favorite and your most cringy at yeah. the same time. Let's see. I'm not sure if I can point out, like, absolute favorites. Like, I can talk about a genre of favorite. Like, when someone says to me, you inspired me to write a book, that's, like, number one favorite, followed closely by the, you made me stay up late and get in trouble the next day at work and or school because your book was, I couldn't put it down. That's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun ones that are kind of cringy but still fun. Will you sign my baby? It I bet I know who that was because uh, I've signed a couple of babies. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the onesie, so I said yes. I mean, oh, I, I, didn't I just sign signed a the babies leg right there with a sharpie. I did have to institute a no skin signing policy with the express exception of people who are, once in a while you get someone who wants, uh, is getting tattoos of people's signatures, mm -hmm. and you can tell that they are serious about their tattoos and things. I will sign on skin there. I generally won't sign skin otherwise. Do you know what the coolest one of those I ever saw was? That? This was a bookseller in Miami. She had Maurice Sendak sketch a wild thing on her arm, and then she ran to the tattoo parlor and had them do it. Oh, wow. That's the coolest tattoo I've ever seen. Okay, this is adjacent but it's okay. not the same thing. One of the times I went to Bad Robot, which is JJ's company, right? Mm -hmm. Which uh, was doing some things with and things like that. They have in the waiting room, a big stack of paper and pens. They're like, just draw something, please. And then they post them on the walls. And I was walking past the wall and there was a pigeon of don't let the pigeon drive the bus from okay. uh, Mo Willems, Willems. And it had don't let the pigeon have the lightsaber. And it was a pigeon with a lightsaber behind his back and somebody cut in half uh, on the next to it. And I love those, you know, don't let the pigeon drive the bus or whatever. My kids really click with those. And so that was mm -hmm. my favorite little, uh, I was pointing at the imaginary oh, okay. wall of the pigeon having sliced someone in half with a lightsaber. Here's another quick fan story. You talked about reading experience. Do you know Julie Wright, local yes. writer? Mm -hmm. She was reading I'm Not a Serial Killer. And she got to chapter seven, the part where it turns out to be an actual supernatural monster, mm -hmm. and her power went out. <laughs> and I have thought far too much about what it would take to have, you know, like those greeting cards where you open it up and it moves a thing that it like connects a wire and then it sings to you? If I could have that trigger an EMP <laughs> when you... <laughs> open to the right page, and then it just kills all your lights in the house. I would do it, which is why they don't let me publish books. Mm. We should make a Dan Wells happy birthday greeting card, where like, <laughs> it, 
starts singing happy birthday when you open it, and then it goes into weird, creepy music, and there's, like, German kids whispering at the end or something like that. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Now, I should say, this is something that I have talked a lot about, and so I want to put this out into the ether. I have been unable to convince Audible to let me do it, but at some point it's going to happen. Audible... Most of the time, you know, it can run off of your Alexa, which means it is connected to your smart home, which means that I can turn the lights on and off in your house. I can activate another Alexa in a different room to whisper or make ghostly noises. Like, why will Audible not let me do the full 4D sound effect smart home horror story? That would be amazing. So you both obviously went to BYU and are religious and have a different set of morals than a lot of people. How do you balance that fandom of, you know, your faith versus, you know, from Argentina to Germany and, you know, different beliefs among all your many fans and just yourself? Okay. I mean, my experience is people are people. Right, and I haven't really run into many issues with this, right? Like, I don't drink, and maybe there's a point in time where that would have been, but if I say that, people are like, oh, you know, that's great, fine, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't know, I'm not sure really even how to respond to the question Well, let me ask you, let me me specificize his question. I do remember when you got the Wheel of Time deal, yes. there were a lot of people who were like, oh, well, Brandon's Mormon. He's not going to put sex scenes in the books. Mm-hmm. Like, was that ever an issue for you? Not really. I mean, I did try to get a marriage written in, but that was more because I've been wanting to see it happen. It was the last <laughs> book, so it didn't end up working. So we cut it. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't have said yes to a project that I felt infringed upon or would force me to do something I didn't want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, at the same time, it is weird. Like I said, people are people. You do get into these things where, like, I'll write a scene in my books and I'll release it. And I think we've talked about this in the podcast, right? That the same day that a chapter went live that was a, a preview chapter, I got an email from someone taking me to task for having loose morals. And another one from a different person taking me to task for being too, too prudish. prudish to actually write a scene the way it should be. I am who I am, and I just kind of write what I feel is appropriate for the story mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So content-wise, it's like the thing I worry most about is glorifying violence, right? I worry about that one from an aspect of, like, I don't think that killing people is a great thing, but I love action. And so you run up in this thing like, at what point am I glorifying the misery of other people? But at the same time, I mean, I'm a video gamer. I play like, you know, Doom Eternal that, you know, my wife was like, ah, I'm like, what? It's, 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 it's an They're eyeball pixels. monster. It's a eyeball monster, you're ripping the eyeball monster in half. Who cares, right? <laughs> like, the eyeball monster doesn't care, I promise you. <laughs> The eyeball monster's gonna be fine. Look, there he is again, I'll rip his eyeball out again. Like, you know, so, I don't know. I I grew up maybe of a different generation from those who view media. I I guess I view it in the way my generation does differently. I don't know. I mean, we all balance these things, but I haven't found, like, religiously, like, around the world and things like that, people just seem to be kind of cool with it, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's just my experience as well. Mm-hmm. I will say that the one time that this has kind of come up for me as an issue is usually the other direction. 
I have had a lot of people from my own faith come to me and say, oh, you're a horror writer. Did they let you keep your temple recommend? Not making a joke, but like genuinely asking, like, I kind of like to write horror, but I don't want to get kicked out of my church. Are you okay? Like, and so I've been like the, don't worry, I've established a beachhead in horror. You can all come in now with me and we can write horrible things together. So, yeah. All right. Hello. First, we want to say thank you so much for doing this. We are really excited to be here. We came from Toronto. So, Ooh, yeah. Toronto. Yeah. I'm like really excited. We're very really excited. good sci-fi bookstore in Toronto, Baca Phoenix. You ever been there? I haven't. Really I'll good. have to go. It's outside of Toronto, but yeah. Well, good I'll go. Store. I've won here, so I'll go there. It's closer to <laughs> so. Toronto than this is. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it works, right? So we wanted to know what movie, show, media are you guys most looking forward to in 2022 or 2023? Okay. Oh, that 20, requires me to know what's coming. So the, the easy answer is I think they are trying to schedule, am I right, Dune Part 2 for 2023? So that's an easy answer, but let me think about other things that I'm really excited about. I am for. really hoping that season two of Arcane lands in 23, because I friggin' love Man, the first season. Man, I get so annoyed by these shows that come out, because when something good like this comes out, the number of emails of people saying, go to these people and have them make Stormlight Archive that I get <laughs> is so like through the roof that I'm sure I will watch it and love it at some point. But right now I'm like, ah, it's too good. Now everybody wants me to do that. Yeah, um, so. sorry. What else am I looking uh, what forward else to? Is, what else I is coming? Really, so my, my favorite Marvel movie that's not a team up is Doctor Strange. Wizards, right, running on walls, you can guess why. <laughs> I, I really like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor, and I, I just think, and so I, that's probably one of the films I'm looking most forward to. Plus, it's got Sam Raimi coming mm -hmm. and doing it, and Sam Raimi makes really weird, interesting stuff, and so I'm excited for that. If you were to give me free choice of any comic book property to adapt into a TV show, I would pick She-Hulk, and there's a She-Hulk show coming. So I'm very excited for that. I don't know if it's, if it's not gonna be the way I would do it, for sure, which might be a good thing. I don't know what focus they're taking with it at all. Mine would just basically be Ally McBeal, but every now and then there's a huge fight. <laughs> That's a good pitch. Yeah, yeah. right? Uh-huh, yeah, I'm on board for that. Yeah. yeah. My second choice would be Dead Man from DC Comics, but we're never gonna get a Dead Man TV series. Of course, the real answer should be Wheel of Time, season two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. Yep. Hi, I actually have two questions, one for me and one from someone who couldn't come up to the mic. First of all, I went to Chat Chat Boba today and I might go again tomorrow. I need to know what your suggestions are. And two, for my friend, what are your favorite Christmas traditions? Oh, cool. Okay, cool. So Boba Tea, really, you can't go wrong, right? So why I like that this is getting really popular over here is when I was living in Korea, Koreans like to make your drinks interesting. And so they will always have things in them, not always, but usually, like floating things. Like you get grape juice, it has whole grapes in it that you get to eat while you're drinking your juice. And bubble tea, I like to just throw all the stuff in. Like, you know that list of things you can get? I just, I'm just like, click, 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 click. <laughs> because I like just stuff in my, my drinks. It's fun. Uh, little jellies, little, little bobas that pop. But the classic, I would recommend just getting on your first one, classic milk tea. 
Pick a flavor that you like. It's basically going to taste like strawberry milk or something like that. It's going to be like milk. Get the classic tapioca bobas and then put one of the jellies in, like a lychee jelly. And that'll give you a good feel for what it's like. Yeah. I, don't, I have no real yes. valuable opinions on boba. <laughs> Uh, except Christmas that it's traditions. delicious Christmas traditions so we have a lot of things like we picked up a bunch of traditions when we lived in Germany like going to a Weihnachtsmarkt and there is one in Utah that's open for like two days and so we go there all the time what we did last year because it was the pandemic and the kids you know couldn't get out of the house and everyone was like hating each other and like we wanted to make Christmas special in a way that like we can't see grandma and grandpa we can't do any of these things because we're quarantined and locked down. So what we did is we had the kids make a list of all the countries they wish they could visit. And then every Sunday dinner leading up to Christmas for about five or six weeks was, well, today we're in China. Today we're in Germany again. Today we're in Hungary. Today we're in Israel. You know, whatever they picked. And uh, they loved that so much that they want to do it again this year. So that's our new tradition. Did you have a Japanese Christmas tradition dinner? We did not. What, what, what is their, Jap, what is the KFC. tradition? KFC. KFC? I'm serious. Well, now I wish we'd done that. Go read up on KFC in Japan as Christmas No, I, I totally believe it. Yeah. My Christmas tradition, you guys are going to love this, is to eat breakfast. <laughs> now, let's remind you. No, 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 listen. This is, this is actually, it's one of the only times of the year I eat breakfast. Because I get up at noon or one o'clock or things like that. I don't have breakfast food. I get up and if I eat, it's whatever people are having for lunch. On Christmas, I have to get up when my kids want to open presents. <laughs> and so I'm up at like 6 or 7 a.m. So I actually eat breakfast. And it's basically the only time of the year that I have breakfast. <laughs> so there you go. That is wonderful. Um, I'm going to say we're going to go 10 more minutes, all right? 10 more minutes, however long it takes. It could be one question. It We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll try to do lightning round yes, we'll here. We'll try to lightning round it. So as a preface, this is obviously already incredibly successful. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. My question is, what does Dragon Con look like in five years? Dragon Steel. Dragon Con Dragon is already Steel a thing. Dragon what is Dragon Steel, Steel Minicon? So I don't know. My team really wanted to do this, and I let them do it. This is the one thing I always, I've been telling you, this is one thing you, they can't blame me for making them do <laughs> lots of work on. The Kickstarter, that's my fault. The book launch part of this, that's my fault. We had to go do like 8,000 books last week. That's my fault. The con is all really up to them. And so it's really what they want, right? What are they wanting to do and things like that. We may want to try to, we've all been kind of so-so on the, the name Dragonsteel Minicon. Maybe we'll just go to Dragonsteel Con. I just feel like one of the things I've tried to, what's that? We can't do Dragon Con. Dragon Con is a thing. It's trademarked. <laughs> a Sander Con. See, the thing about Sander Con is, why I didn't want to call it Sander Con is, like, we have a lot of cool authors here and things like that. I'd like it to more be like a, a book celebration sort of thing that culminates in a book launch by me. We have a Jordan Con. I don't know that I want another Jordan Con. I just, anyway. So, what's that? Cosmere Con? See, but that even means it's like about the Cosmere. That's why I tried to push them toward Dragonsteel something that we're putting it on for everybody. But regardless, it's really up to the team. I, that was a very lightning round issue. Yeah, sorry. I will say that I hope that you keep doing this because I've sold so many books here. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Sometimes during your writing, you guys touch on a few things that are 
uh, like physics or math or outside of the fantasy fiction realm. So my question is, what is your favorite subjects in nonfiction that sometimes you have to do research on for flight pilot stuff? Like what's your favorite nonfiction subject? History, specifically biographies, historical biographies I really like, or history of warfare. I really like the, this is how this battle went down and all the things that were required for it to come together, that sort of thing. I am also definitely an armchair historian and I do a lot of history study. I will also say that I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite, but I love going down scientific rabbit holes. So like writing my post-apocalypse series, figuring out, well, how long does it take for a skyscraper to collapse when we stop maintaining it? What would happen to Chicago? Chicago is the most engineered waterway system in the world. They've completely reversed the direction of flow of one of their rivers. Like how, what is that gonna do if we all die and it's still there? Like how quickly does Chicago turn back into a swamp and what does that mean for the infrastructure? That kind of thing, I will spend days researching. Isn't there a fairly famous kind of pop book that talks about yes, that? Yes, The World Without Us by yeah. Alan Weissman, mm -hmm. which was made or loosely adapted into a sci-fi channel show called Life After People, mm. which is not super awesome, but it was But the still book fun. is good. Yeah. Okay. Earlier you talked about Ender's Game and its adaptation being so-so. I don't know if you've Touched on this previously in another episode, but Aragon and that Aragon. book series. Oh boy. Your it's, thoughts, please. It's so fun. Aragon is one of the best riff tracks mm -hmm. that you can watch. If you don't know what riff tracks is, it's what some of the MST3K people do where they do audio commentaries. My opinion on Aragon is that it's a movie that is so bad it's good. It's fun to have Christopher in the room when people talk about it because he tries so hard to be really political about it, politic, where he doesn't talk about how bad it is. And it's fun to watch him squirm. So I enjoy that. But yeah, my opinion is it is bad enough that it's good. But the books weren't foundational to me. I enjoyed them. So it didn't hurt me that it was bad. It was just like, oh, it's bad. All right, let's move into the <laughs> let's make fun of it mindset. It's not like Golden Compass, which is just boring for some reason. It's so sad that Golden Compass is boring because the actors are all really well cast and the visuals are all great. And then I was just bored. Which of your guys' books would be the most watchable musical? Most watchable most musical. watchable musical? Oh, a hero for all ages, the in-world musical. Um, um, no, what would be the actual most watchable musical? Wow, Man. that's a great Kay. question. I want a John Cleaver musical with songs by Interpol. <laughs> Boy, I haven't even thought about this. Uh, or, have... or My Chemical Romance. Can we get Gerard? <laughs> but, yeah. I have no idea. That's my answer. Uh, the in-world musical. We'll do that. All right. Let's say that hypothetically there's another company that wants to use one of your characters in their medium. Like they want to put Kelsier in Fortnite, for example. Yes. How does that, how does that dialogue start between you and them? Like, what does that right. email look like? With Kelsier, it's my friend who made Fortnite saying, hey, we should put Kelsier in Fortnite. That actually happened because if you don't watch my streams, 
my kids like Fortnite. He's like, oh yeah, we'll put in a skin for one of your kids. Ask your kid what they want. And my kids spent so long, they couldn't decide. They came up with too many answers and they wouldn't let me go back to him with anything because they couldn't decide. And what they came up with was completely unworkable. They're like, we don't want a skin, we want a pet turtle. And we want the pet turtle to be on the island in this specific place. And the pet turtle talks to you and is indestructible. And you go to it and it gives you bonuses, but only if you know what to say to the turtle. And I was telling him all these things and we were chatting about it and he's like, why don't we put Kelsier in Fortnite? I'm like, oh yeah, that would probably be the obvious thing. Do you want to put Kelsier in Fortnite? He's like, yeah, sure, let's put Kelsier in Fortnite. So he did. That's how that happened. Other ones have happened with just the emails coming in, and none of these have panned out yet. They're still in the conversation, where there's like, would you be interested? Usually it's someone knows I'm a fan of something of theirs, and so they write to me and say, would Brandon be interested? Now, now do those emails go to you? Do they go to your agent? They can go to agent or me. The, most of them go to the agent these days, but sometimes mm -hmm. they pop up for me. But let me be salty. All right. Okay. <laughs> From software, decides to make a fantasy game and partner with a fantasy novelist, right? and they choose someone who spends his days blogging about the MFL rather than the person who has played their games since Kingsfield and has listed their games as his top favorite games among his top 10 consistently over time. What are you thinking, people? So, if you don't know, they went to George and made a game with George. And I'm like, George doesn't play video games. George has no idea. So, anyway, there you go. Everybody probably asks you this all the time, but like we love your work. I mean, I'm sure everyone here has read every book you've written like three times, maybe right? Maybe not. Maybe I, not. Raise I your haven't. Hand, you've read it three times. Yeah, there you go. Three times, three yeah. Books, right? Mm -hmm. What else can we read that's like you guys? Like, what what are your favorite authors? Oh, okay, what are my favorite <laughs> yeah. authors? Yeah. Favorite author? Like, like we want to read stuff that's similar, stuff similar that, that, that engages us like you. Okay, similar to me. Well, apparently James Islington is a good choice, though I haven't read that. I often recommend Brian. People who like my works really tend to like Brian McClellan's works. He's here. You can go listen to him read. His, his newest book that is coming out sometime that I've read is probably the most like something that I write that, uh, that he's ever done. Uh, Definitely. So you, you guys would like that a lot. Who else? I mean, you could read the people that I grew up on, like Anne McCaffrey. Anne McCaffrey deeply influenced me and is criminally underread now, even though she was once one of the most popular fantasy writers of all time. You can read like my whole group, right? Like Nora N.K. Jemison and Pat Rothfuss and things like, we all kind of started publishing Epic Fantasy about the same time and have similar world building sensibilities, I find. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, Victoria Schwab, you should read A Darker Shade of Magic. I think that everybody who likes my books would like Victoria's work. It is fantastic and yeah, she does really cool things. Yeah. So there you go. What's that? Brent Weeks. Yeah, you should read Brent Weeks. Brent Weeks is another really good example. The Lightbringer stories in particular. But I feel like you know all of this stuff, right? Like you've read all of these things. Here, I'm trying to find the ones that are... Let me yeah. suggest one that maybe you haven't heard of. Uh, she Who Rides the Storm by Caitlin Sangster. Oh, yeah. Is uh -huh. very Brandon-esque in, yes. in a very good way while still being very original and her own thing. Yes, it's very good. She is not as well known as some of these other names, but yes. she's... Very, very good. I need to start recommending Caitlin more because it took me a while to get to her book and I finally read it and it's great. It's, um, it's awesome. So, and it has um, a Brandon cover quote. So last question. Sorry, the rest of you. We tried. We tried. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not really that into scary stuff, but my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter really is. 
and she wanted me to give her a book recommendation, but I don't know. What's your book recommendation for an 11 year old girl? 11 year old? How, how mature of an 11 year old are we talking? <laughs> Pretty mature, but you know, appropriate. Okay. okay, I am not a serial killer. My first horror, I have had kids as young as 11 read it and really love it. Okay. A lot of people go to Cirque du Freak. I haven't Cirque, read those. Cirque du Freak are is they good. good? Okay. I Hunt Killers by Barry Liga is maybe a little rough for an 11 year old. Some of Neil Gaiman's stuff, Coraline. Oh, yeah, maybe. Uh, really, really solid for um, an 11 year old. Graveyard Book. Graveyard yeah. Book is also very good. I would not give an 11 year old most of Neil's work, but Coraline and Graveyard Book are both great. There you go. And is there a good place to get Korean food around here? Korean food? Uh, Samhok is fantastic. It's it just is a few slow, blocks away. And it's only a few blocks away. It is, uh, it's really good boonshik. But their kalbi is really good um, and things like that. Just be aware, it takes them a while. But very good. I am sorry to the rest of you. You can, if you're coming to the spoiler thing... Uh-oh, is that my son? There's my son. <laughs> are you the one that was complaining? Okay, my son is going to ask a question. Hello. Hello. All right, there we go. Uh, but yes, thank you guys. Thank you.